Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayYarko underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. Joining us now, someone who has not been on in a little while. In fact, in my opinion, it's been far too long. And he's the only person that can find you a 2020 starter in the upcoming draft in the sixth round. Ladies and gentlemen, senior writer and editor, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the one, the only Scott Smith. Scott, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Uh, you brought up a bad memory there. I guess you're talking about that challenge draft that I did with Parman. Yes, sir. Her, her challenge in the sixth round. We were we were alternating, so we'd make a straight pick, but then one of us would challenge the other one and make them do something. You know, I was pretty straightforward in the first round. Like, you, you can't pick an offensive tackle. Everybody's picking them. In the sixth round, she says, find me a player who not only will make the team, but could be a starter as the season progresses. Do you know how many times six-rounders are starters as rookies? Kind of never. I think it's like 1%. I mean, who's the greatest six-round pick of all time? Oh, Tom Brady. Buccaneers Tom Brady. And how many starts did he have as a rookie? That would be zero. Zero. But anyway, it was fun. Yeah, that w- that was a brutal challenge by Carmen there, but <laughs> I think you were correct when you said that by picking an Arizona State Sun Devil, you you kind of made good on that, and, and I agree go. with that. Yeah. Um, but Scott, I mean, you were, you just touched on it and then, you know, every, pretty much every episode this off season has kind of touched on it, but obviously Tom Brady, the new quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and you've been with the franchise for, for a while now, uh, is Tom Brady the biggest thing to happen to Tampa Bay since the Super Bowl? Yeah, absolutely. And it's the biggest, it's the biggest move the team has ever made, right? I mean, the Super Bowl is a bigger thing, but what's a bigger move? I mean, Simeon Rice was a big move, you know? Um, you know, every time we've drafted a quarterback first overall, that's the big move, but there's never been a bigger move in team history than this one. It's exciting. I mean, come on. It's crazy. Could you have even imagined this one year ago? No, absolutely not. And that's something that, uh, you know, fortunately James and I have, have been getting hit up by a lot of radio stations recently and doing our little appearances here and there to talk to people about that. And I think we've all kind of echoed the same sentiment is that in April of 2019, I never, you know, if we did a craziest predictions for 2020, I never would have predicted that Tom Brady was quarterback of the Buccaneers. Um, what do you make of, I mean, you've been around the game for a long time and, and intimate with the game for a long time. What do you make of all the people who are concerned about his age and concerned about injuries and concerned about, uh, you know, his arm strength and all that stuff? Well, you know, there's no certainty in any move. There's no certainty in the first pick of the draft. Um, so it's, I don't think it's insulting or or, or ridiculous to, to look at the possible pitfalls. I mean, I think you would do that with any huge move like this. So, you know, the age thing, it's just that we're just talking about a different person, different commodity, different whatever that's ever been. I mean, he'll be 43 when the season starts, but he played at a very high level last year at age 42 and and clearly can, believes he can continue to play for several more years, maybe even beyond this two-year contract. And, you know, he's he goes to fanatical lengths to keep himself in peak shape. Uh, he obviously, you know, if, if he's got it physically, then 
the age and, and the 20 years of experience is all a plus, not a, not a concern. Um, the arm strength thing doesn't really hold up uh, when you look at a lot of the statistics, when you dive down a little bit deeper in the statistics, his, his deep passing was actually pretty good last year. Um, and and he, he didn't have the weapons that he's going to have now in that regard. And I mean, I just, I trust Tom Brady and Bruce Arians and those two football minds to collaborate and know how to design an offense that will work. And, you know, it's just, you have a quarterback now who's, you're, you're believing will be an incredible decision maker as he's been throughout his entire career. And, and I, I think the physical tools are still there. So, but I mean, I, I completely understand it. You asked me, what do I think about people saying those things? I think it's natural and normal to question those things, but I just think we're talking about a different player than has mostly ever existed before. Moving beyond the, the Tom Brady acquisition, because we're, not going to touch on anything in free agency that's as big as that, obviously. But who do you feel is the most significant loss from the 2019 Buccaneers team that has, that has moved on and gone elsewhere in free agency? Yeah, I think that's pretty obviously Brashad Perriman, just because after um, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, who you could easily make an argument are the best starting duo of receivers in the league, you, you don't have a lot of proven – depth beyond that. I mean, obviously there's reasons to have hope for guys like Scotty Miller and, and Justin Watson, and maybe even some of the young guys or the guys that didn't get a chance last year, like a Bryant Mitchell or something like that. Um, but there's nobody proven there. And if we hadn't had Brashad Perryman in the month of December, when both Mike and Chris went down, uh, you know, it, it, the passing game could have suffered considerably, but it didn't. So I think that's the, that's the biggest thing that this team has lost. And you can't get everybody back. And if you're Brashad Perriman, you, you want to go to a team that doesn't have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin because you want to, you, you think you've proven that you deserve a starting role somewhere and you want to go to a team where you can have that. And that's completely understandable. But I think that's a pretty decent-sized loss. On the flip side, they were able to retain their their front seven defensively who do you think was the, the most important piece in retaining as far as as the defense is concerned? Yeah, I mean, these are pretty straightforward topics because, I mean, you could probably take Shaq Barrett and Indomitian Sue and Jason Pierre-Paul and, and, and maybe if you wanted to, you could say 1A, 1B, and 1C. But Shaq Barrett was the league's sack leader last year. And to me, that's that's the guy you couldn't possibly afford to let go, which is why that's the guy you use the franchise tag on. So I, I don't think that's a real revolutionary answer on my part, but, but I will say that I was really high on the, I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled that we got JPP back, but when I was ranking them, I kind of thought Indomitian Sioux was the next priority. Uh, and I was, I he was also the one I was most afraid would depart. And I, I think that's one of the, maybe most underrated moves that have been made so far, the ability to retain Indomitian Sioux, you know, the, the numbers don't jump off the page at you. I think off the top of my head, 2.5 sacks, but the amount of attention that he draws in the middle. And, and this is a guy that plays every single game, plays probably about 75%, 75 to 80% of the snaps. He teams with the criminally underrated Vita Vea there in the middle to give you just something that a lot of teams don't have right there. And, and that opens up opportunities for Shaq and JPP and anybody else that's really. So 
the answer I think is pretty obviously Shaq, but I also wanted to, end up to highlight and Dominic and Sue a little bit there because I thought we were going to lose him to be honest. And I'm thrilled that he's back. Wrapping up the week here on the Locked On Bucks podcast with Scott Smith, senior writer and editor for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Scott, moving on to the NFL draft, uh, offensive tackle obviously has been a very popular uh, selection in mock drafts for, you know, regarding to the Buccaneers. And you yourself in your last mock that you did there with Carmen, uh, you selected Andrew Thomas, uh, offensive tackle out of Georgia. But there have been some people, mostly Colts fans, but there have been some other people who argue that maybe Joe Haig is actually capable of stepping in to that right tackle position. And I don't want to take anything away from you know the player necessarily, but do you believe there's any chance that Joe Haig is a reason the Buccaneers may not actually go after an offensive tackle on day one? No, I don't. And, and, uh, and I think I can answer that question without saying anything insulting about Joe Haig. Um, I, I like the signing. Even no matter what else happens, uh, you like to have depth. And all of our, basically, other than Donovan Smith, all of our tackles were free agents that, that so far at least haven't returned. And he's a guy that has started quite a bit and started at several different positions. And that's an awesome thing to have on your team. And if he, I don't know Joe Haig. I've never met him, obviously, because of the situation that we're in. He might be a kind of guy who looks at this situation and goes, yeah, I don't care what they draft. I got to, I'm going to come in there and fight to win that job. And that's great. I mean, that's, that's, that's what you want. But I don't think that that makes you not, I don't think that makes you take, tackle and right tackle in particular off of your list of needs you still you still to me it still makes completely logical sense to to draft one of those guys especially if you can get one of the ones and we're all assuming that jason light and his crew have the tackles ranked somewhat similar to what all of us outside analysts do uh so if that's true you're talking about those four main guys at the top a couple other nice ones too that'll probably go in the first round but um I don't think that makes you take that off the table if one of those guys is available to you uh, personally. And, um, and, and in fact, in the very most recent mock draft that we put up today, um, I was picking for us. Carmen and I were alternating picks and we had gotten to pick through pick nine, two of those four were gone. And uh, I just didn't look at who was in front of us. I didn't think that the two remaining ones, which were Mackay Beckton and, and Andrew Thomas were going to make it to 14 it's easy when you're doing a mock draft, you can just make the other team comply. But I predicted a trade with the Browns to go up to 10, but what if the Browns want to tackle? So I still think logically it's the, it should be the number one target on the Bucks board. I, I saw the, uh, the aggressive move there in, in the mock draft that came out today. And, you know, you and you and Carmen have done such a great job with these mock drafts. And so I'm kind of wondering through all your research and, and, looking at all these draft prospects and everything, who is somebody that has jumped out to you personally and has almost become one of your favorite prospects that no one else is really talking about? And it doesn't necessarily have to be for the Buccaneers specifically, just a guy that you've come to really enjoy watching film of. Well, I, I don't know if I'm going to satisfy all aspects of that question there if, with this first answer. while well, I try to think of a better answer. Um, I just really love Caleb on chase on. Um, if the Buccaneers, if all four offensive tackles are gone uh, by 14 and the Bucs don't want to go to the next tier, they don't trade down, they don't trade up, uh, they go to what's next on their board or, or somebody that they think can help them right away, 
I like the guy. I think he's, I, I don't, I think he's only scratched the surface of his potential. And I've, I've always thought through watching all these drafts that you don't find premier edge rushers outside of the first half of the first round very often. I mean, you know, we love Shaq Barrett. He's a stud, but it's a story that he's that good because they don't come from that for the most part. They come from the, the top of the draft, you know, and the Bucks have tried to get one in the second round a few years ago with Noah Spence. It seemed like a great idea, but it didn't really work out. I don't, to me, I don't care what your depth chart looks like. It's never a bad idea to jump on a guy that you think could be a special edge rusher. Uh, and I'm kind of feeling that way about him. I don't, I, I, the part of the question that I don't think I'm satisfying here with this and the next answer is, um, guy nobody's talking about. Um, I, I really like Jonathan Taylor, the Wisconsin running back. And I have noticed that after the, after the combine, the general thought about the running backs seemed to be that his performance at the combine had vaulted him to the top of the list of running backs. And yet as the weeks have gone on since then, it seems like everybody's or not everybody, but the combined consensus is that Deandre Swift is the best running back available. And, I just think Jonathan Taylor has a chance to be special and I'm seeing mock drafts. I'm going in the second round and I think he's a first round pick. We are joined by Buccaneers senior writer and editor Scott Smith. Scott, we had the, the other hosts of the locked on Falcons, locked on saints, locked on Panthers. Um, We had them on earlier this week to kind of, Take a take a gander at the way the NFC South has shaped out so far this offseason ahead of the draft. When you take a look at this division and, and the Saints are able to pain Drew Brees, which that really wasn't ever a question once Drew Brees said he was coming back. But then they go out and they get Emmanuel Sanders and they're able to bring back Malcolm Jenkins. And you have the Falcons out there getting every first round pick of the last 10 years that they can possibly find. And you have the Panthers moving on from Kim Newton and bringing in Teddy Bridgewater, signing Chris McCaffrey to that huge extension. How do you feel about the way the NFC South started to shape out here so far this season? Well, I don't know how the Saints do it year after year. Um, every time they make these moves, everybody says they're on the precipice of cap hell. And, and then the next year they sign Emmanuel Sanders. And I don't know how they do it. Um, I guess part of it is the – so far, constant raising of the salary cap from year after year. Uh, but that was disappointing a little bit that they were able to land him. Um, the Falcons, it's a great note. I love it. It's its interesting the way they're, they could conceivably start if they go in three wides. I think I, I've seen this. They could conceivably start a first-round pick at all 11 spots on offense. But for that to happen, some of the acquisitions have to be first round picks that didn't necessarily pan out as well in their original spots. Right. I mean, who, who we, one of them is um, uh, I'm blanking on the Minnesota Vikings receiver that they signed that didn't really work Laquan out. Laquan Treadwell. Yeah. Yeah. Laquan Treadwell. I mean, technically he's a first round pick, but would that be a guy who'd be high on your list of, of targets at wide receiver? I mean, he hasn't done a whole lot, um, you know, so they, they're tight end that they traded for from Baltimore. Um, they had to do that because they couldn't afford to sign. Uh, well, I'm having a tough time with names today. So I mean, Austin Hooper, out. Austin Hooper, they, they had to, uh, you know, they needed a tight end because they couldn't afford to sign him because they were in 
not a great salary cap situation. So to me, that whole first round thing is more of a interesting note than a positive or a negative. Um, the biggest change obviously is Carolina. I also think they're the toughest team to call. I mean, I think the saints are going to be good. Um, the Falcons, I'm not sure I've seen enough to, to make me think they're going to be a ton better than they were last year. Uh, the, the Panthers to me are the one that's the toughest to call. I like Teddy Bridgewater. Um, but they had a good quarterback, not last year, most of last year, but, uh, you know, their defense has a lot of holes in it, but they, they lost Luke Keekley now. Uh, I think they're really tough to call. I like Teddy Bridgewater. I would root for him if he wasn't playing for the Panthers. Um, I don't know. It's, it's all, it's all still a little bit up in the air, but I don't think the saints got any worse would be my main takeaway. Yeah, and Scott, among the uh, the NFC South storylines, of course, are the two new uniforms uh, that teams will be wearing. Of course, the Buccaneers' own new uniform, and then the Atlanta Falcons and their new threads. Uh, what did, what were your thoughts about the Bucks returning kind of to a, a more updated look of the Super Bowl-era uniform? Uh, I, I can tell you personally, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of going backwards. I'm kind of always a move-forward guy, but then once I saw them, especially seeing Levante David uh, wearing that similar style look, you know, kind of the, the nostalgia that kind of brought back. I've gotten on board with it, but um, again, being someone who's been with the organization for a while before those uniforms and since, what were your thoughts about uh, seeing that new th- that new set of uniforms? And what do you think about the reaction the Atlanta Falcons new uniforms have been getting? Well, to start at the end there, I only really paid attention to the reaction of the Falcons uniform right off the bat. And I know they had that little Twitter back and forth with the Panthers. It, I saw it as negative. Is that is that what you're saying? Their 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 feedback has been negative. Yeah, a lot of people. I mean, their own fans. A lot of people don't really like them. The uh, the large ATL on the chest. Uh, people are are not a fan of as well. Yeah. Uh, and then the gradient jersey, the the black fading into red or red into black, whatever it is. Um, there's there's just a lot of people who aren't fans of the overall look. I was I was a big fan of the whole gradient thing back in the '90s when I was designing like covers for media guides and stuff like that. Uh, I don't think it looks particularly great on the uniform. Um, uh, the numbers on the back on at least one of the version looked just like insanely big to me. I don't know. I, I don't, I never, I never really cared about the Falcons uniforms anyway, so I don't have a big visceral, visceral reaction to it, but I can, I think I can understand the negative. As for ours, um, you know, you brought up Levante David and it's funny, obviously, we've had to sit on this information for quite some time before we were able to, to release it. So it was nice to get it out there in the open. And I remember um, before everybody was sent home, sitting in the lunchroom at the Advent Health Training Center and um, is, is mostly PR guys and I and, and uh, Levante was there. So the PR guys called him over to sit with us because they had wanted to ask him a question. As you saw, he was one of the people in the photo shoot and they, they just wanted to see if they could get him nailed down for that. And at the time Levante hadn't seen or been told uh, what the uniforms were going to be. And he said, I swear it's true. He's like, I just hope they go back to what they were wearing when I first got here. Cause you know, his first two years were in the Super Bowl era uniform. That's yeah. exactly what he wanted. That's awesome. And he got it. And uh, so I'm not surprised that he would love it. You know, I get your point about going backwards, but part of that is back then, I guess ours was 2014. And around that same time, there were a number of other teams that made some changes to the uniform. I think the Browns 
bags maybe, that we're sort of pushing the envelope a little bit, trying to go more modern. I'm doing air quotes right now, if you will. Um, I know that was our idea. Um, and that's what, I guess that's what teams thought would would go over well then. And, and the intervening years have shown that that's not the case. And a lot of teams are now going backwards to what you would call more traditional looks. And for the Bucks, that's a great tradition, that uniform. Um, I love the new all pewter alternate color rush, whatever you want to call it, uniforms. I think there's something completely unique. I, I, I think they're fantastic. I hope we wear them as many times as we're allowed to wear them. But the other ones are great too. And um, I don't know if you saw, but we, we did answer some questions about that. Like the people were wondering, they looked at the photo shoot and they see the helmets and they see the, the really the flag logo is still very big, like it has been the last six years. And that's just because they didn't have an updated helmet yet when they shot that photo shoot, but they later shot one that's, that's included in the galleries there where the flag has been reduced by about 10%. And now it's not any part of it isn't obscured by where the chin strap buckles in. So I think that's an improvement too. Um, I don't know. I, I like them. Uh, you know, that was, I, I started here in the, in the creamsicle era. So if you were to ask me which of the three uniforms I like the most, that was the one. So for, if we're going to wear one, I'm glad it's that one. Yeah, I, I think going back to the Super Bowl era uniforms was was a fantastic move. And <clears throat> my son, you know, the the poor poor kid that he is, he's a Buccaneers fan because he's watched me watch them and 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 cover them and, and cheer them on. So I had jokingly told him months ago, I was like, "Yeah, okay, if Tom Brady comes to the Buccaneers, <laughs> I'll get you a Tom Brady jersey." So I had to eat my words there, and I I pre ordered it. Uh, before the the uniform reveal for him, and I just opted to get the home red. I was like, I already know. Yeah, I I don't know what they're gonna do with with the color rush when that gets changed and all that. And uh, I went ahead and and got him the red. And he saw the pewter and he's like, those jerseys are the coolest thing to <laughs> ever happen. And so I had to sneak on there and I I ordered him a Devin White pewter oh, one nice. uh, for yeah. his for his birthday. Hopefully, it's here on time. But, uh, but yeah, Scott, really appreciate you, uh, you coming on and, and sharing some time with us. What do you guys have going on over at Buccaneers.com? Uh, the draft is, is a week away. What kind of coverage are you guys going to have over there regarding uh, everything happening with the 2020 NFL draft? No, that's a good question. We're still um, nailing down the details of the plan because, you know, like everybody else, we all have to do this in a different way this year. Um, there's no – actual draft party at the stadium, but, um, we're working on virtual, um, uh, a virtual kind of that. And, and we're going to have a lot of live stuff. We're going to try to bring in players for interviews. Um, we're going to, we're going to still going to get to talk to Jason light before and after the draft. Uh, we think we're going to cover it wall to wall. Uh, you never know. Everybody's worried about technical difficulties for the GMs which is a much bigger deal, of course, but nobody's ever done this before. So hopefully it'll go off uh, without a hitch, but we're going to do our best to try to provide analysis all night on, on the first night of the draft, both video and, and uh, written stuff. And then uh, the rest of the weekend we'll be covering it as well. So we're going to try to bring you everything and get inside as much as we can, try to find a way to get images and video from inside the, the draft room. 
which isn't really a draft room this year. It's, it's at Jason Light's house. But uh, I think you're going to see – I think you're going to be – I think Bucks fans will be pleased with the amount of coverage that we have for the draft, particularly on the first night. Yeah, of course, you, you guys always do a great job over there, you and Carmen. Uh, you guys have this draft thing down to uh, to a science now. So, of course, we're going to make sure that we are keeping an eye out for everything you guys have going on over there. And, of course, you can follow all of Scott's stuff at Buccaneers.com as well as on Twitter at Scott S. Bucks. Check out everything David and I are doing over at BucksNation.com. Check out the Locked On NFL Podcast Mock Draft, where David and I pulled off a trade go from 14 to 22. Still got our guy and got an additional second-round pick. Every episode, all six episodes of the Locked On NFL Mock Draft available over on the Locked On NFL feed. Follow along on Twitter at Locked On Bucks, at JR underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. Hope you all have an absolutely outstanding weekend. Stay safe, stay healthy, wash your hands. And we thank you so much for joining us right here at Locked On Bucks. Bucks.